Welcome, and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. Ever get anxious about anything? Liar, liar, liar. Every single one of y'all. You're probably anxious about speaking up in public. That's probably why you didn't say anything. Um, That's a big one for a lot of people. Um, I remember, I still, as old as I am, I still remember the uh, anxiety I had before taking the SAT. Anybody remember having to take that, you know, when you're getting ready to graduate from high school? Um, I'm so old that, you know, the highest you could get was 1,600 back then. Yeah. Inflation gets everything right now. What, you get like 2,400 or something like that? It's crazy. But, you know, I was like, I was sweating, you know, and I I didn't know what to do. And, uh, you know, I tried to prepare and, you know, you did the PSAT and all that sort of stuff. I remember, believe it or not, a guy who gets up here and talks, you know, kind of for a living, you know, I used to be really nervous about talking in front of people. And I was in an organization in high school called Future Business Leaders of America. My kids love to make fun of it all the time. But it actually got me out of my shell and I had to public speak. And that's something these same boys that make fun of me won't get up here and do a communion talk. Just saying, just saying. Should have been a future business leader. Anyway, but I, you know, I remember having to make the first speeches I ever had to make and I had to get in front of these people and, you know, people, my peers, people in high school who probably don't want to hear what you got to say. And it was, it was nerve wracking. It it caused a lot of anxiety. Um, Today, we've got this amazing, oh, sorry, my alarm's going off. Sorry about that. Um, we got this amazing um, bumper video supposed to play, but guess what? Our audio just decided, <clears throat> ain't working. Uh, we've had stuff basically set up except the computer all week long for a couple weeks, but it doesn't want to work today. It gives me anxiety. Um, a, a lot of things give each of us anxiety, whether you use that term or not, it makes you, makes you worry. I've got a phone call coming in. Somebody decided, hey, the church is meeting at this time. I'm going to find their website and call their church. Yeah, that makes sense. But anyway, oh, sorry, my alarm's going off. Um, but a lot of things give us, like, feelings of being anxious, and we're so busy, right? Anybody just feel, like, overly busy? My wife and I talked about that. We talked about a lot about how in 2020, you know, the world just sort of stopped. And our life was just at this hectic pace, you know. Our church was about three years old, two and a half years old at that time. And then we were just like going nonstop, Bible studies here, there, you know, trying to make sure that everything's going with this amazing team of people. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, man, somebody's calling me again. Yeah, my alarm went off. Again, I'm sorry. I thought I had all those things shut off. Um, But everything stopped, and nobody did anything. And now it's like everybody said, okay, we're going to just jump right back into full throttle, never having room for anything, never having time to rest or or do anything. And the crazy thing was, was during COVID, whether you might not have been into hospitality that much before, but a lot of that just stopped completely during COVID. And the sad thing is, is that we didn't rebuild relationships that we kind of lost during COVID. And so now we're keeping this busy, crazy, hectic schedule that we kept before, but now we don't have the relationships to keep us whole and grounded. And whether you realize that's the problem or not, it's eating away at your soul. It's eating away at my soul. And, and we got to realize, shoot, 
I thought I turned all these alarms off. Gosh, sorry. I apologize. I'm sorry about that. But whether you realize it or not, there's something going on that's kind of keeping you buzzing. Not buzzing in a good way. Not buzzing in a, I feel good, but just like never being able to rest. Does anybody relate to that? There's always something. And, I mean, and, and things like phones and technology are perfect examples of your life. Like back when I was a kid, like literally you had to catch us at home if you were going to call us, right? We didn't eat. I remember a time, I'm that old, I remember a time not having an answer machine. Stupid alarms. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. But I remember a time I'm not even, you, you just had to hope you caught me, you know, and we would leave the house and nobody could get in touch with us. Believe it or not, much less track us on Life 360. You know, that just wasn't a thing, right? You ain't got a long cord on your landline. Hello? <laughs> you know? But here's the thing. Whether you realize it, the busyness of life, the chaos, the anxiety, the worry, the just the frustration, the idea of always being on, always having to have answers, always having to know what's going on, having everybody know what's going on with you, it can be overwhelming. And I don't know if you're the kind of type who my alarm going off and my phone ringing is driving you crazy, but I was doing that on purpose. <laughs> I set uh, like six or seven alarms to go off every minute. <laughs> and here's the thing. I didn't plan the phone calls, though. Somebody's really calling us at their church line, calling us during our, our church time. Um, and so that was just God saying, here, I'm looking out for you, buddy. Just add a little more chaos to it. <laughs> but here's what I want you to think about. We're going into this series called Reset. And I don't know if you feel like you need a reset in life. But I would challenge you to think that you probably do. You probably need a reset in something. You need to kind of recalibrate. All of us need a little bit. Some of us need a lot. And I, sometimes I think I'm in that a lot category. I need a lot of reset. There's just the world is full of anxiety and hurry. And uh, Charleston Southern University several years back did a study. And they went to believers and they asked all sorts of questions. And the questions were trying to get at what's the greatest hindrance for spiritual growth in believers? And you know what they found out after asking tons and tons of questions to thousands of Christians? They found out that simply busyness is one of the greatest hindrances to spiritual growth. And guess when this study was done? 2007. Pre-social media really being a thing? pre-smartphones um, being this small, you know, smart, I don't know if smart, I guess smartphones were around, but not everybody had one. Now 85% of people in the world have a smartphone. But pre-all that, pre-COVID, pre-all that crazy, 2007, back then, the hardest thing, the thing that stood in the way of most of us growing spiritually as believers was busyness, being way too busy. And people face crippling anxiety. It's sort of become a disease these days. And here's the thing. I don't believe that life like that is what God intended for us. 
especially for believers. I don't believe that God intended for us to live this like, like frenetic pace of just never feeling calm, never feeling at peace, never feeling any moment of relaxation. I got a couple of questions for you. Do you ever find yourself, if you, if you still go to the grocery store, believe it or not, a lot of us don't even go to the grocery store, but when you go to the grocery store, do you find yourself counting the people in the lines and figuring out which one you're going to go to? And then, no, no, that, that's sort of normal. You know, you want to go to a shorter line, but then getting impatient in the line you're in and jumping to another? Some of y'all are nodding your head, willing to tell the truth and let the Lord love you, right? You know, it's, it's a feeling of like, I just, I got to get that extra 10 seconds. How many times does switching to that other line burn you? So, because you get there, you're like, oh, sweet, that one's only got two people. I'll get over there. And this lady says, I've got 147 million coupons, not digital paper. You know, and you're like, ha! Ah! You know, and then, you know, your brain is just, just, just fried. In traffic, do you ever count the cars in the, the lane that you're in and say, oh, this one's moving a little bit faster? Get over, what happens? Brakes, yeah? But it just wears you out, right? It, it burns you up. It, it, it fries you. Here's the true test. How many of you get frustrated in your house when you're watching Netflix or whatever and your internet buffers? You know, the Netflix, you know, hey, just to let y'all know, that is pictures and sound flying through the air, shooting through your head. It didn't happen all that long ago. If, it fra- if that freezes and pauses, it's okay. It's okay. But I, I'm the first one to get really frustrated, right? Because these images flying throughout space are not going quite fast enough for me, right? I get frustrated, you get frustrated, we're so busy, we want things to go, 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 go. Dr. Meyer Friedman was a cardiologist, and uh, he did a study and determined that people who would be classified as type A personalities, who are just very schedule-oriented, detail-oriented, we got to do this, we got to do this, very driven, that they were at a higher risk of heart disease, and they had so many more health issues. And he coined a phrase called, hurry sickness, hurry sickness because they were just always at this frenetic pace, and it seemed to make them physically sick in many ways. And he realized that most of his at-risk cardiovascular patients were people who fit into that category, people who lived this frantic sense of hurry and a busy life, what he described as time urgency. Everything's urgent. Everything's urgent. They live under the tyranny of the urgent. That's what most of our society, right? Most of our society. And do you know when he figured this study out? 1950. Yeah. Can you imagine what he would be thinking right now in 2024? That was the time of what, leave it to Beaver and all that, right? When everybody's sitting down for this meal and dad's in a suit and mom's in a dress and the kids are like, gee, pops, you know, and that was then, right? That was then when they were feeling this urgency and all these heart issues and it's so much worse now. I point all this stuff out, not to bring shame, but I've got a little test for you. Um, hopefully you got a little square of paper. If not, I don't know if there are any more in here, um, but a little square of paper with, with a little checklist. If you did not get one, raise your hand and we'll see if we can get any more. There's one over here. Uh, Steve, Steve's got some. He'll come around. Just keep your hand up real quick. But this is a test that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. You'll see there's several words on there. And this is what uh, John Mark Comer, he's a preacher and um, a, a teacher, and he came up with a, a, a hurry sickness test. 
And he said, these are some characteristics that you may have if you are dealing with what we call hurry sickness. And so what I want you to do is if you got a pen, you can go through and you can actually physically check them off. If you don't, just kind of make a mental checklist and keep track. If this sort of fits you, you check that little box, okay? So the first one is irritability. Check, <laughs> right? Most of us. Now, here's, here's what we're talking about here. Do you get easily mad? Or do you get easily frustrated, if you don't want to call it mad, don't be trying to play me here. Frustrated, mad, kind of same thing. Um, Do you get annoyed easily? Covered a few more of us. Um, Here's the real kicker, especially toward family. You can keep it in, in polite circles, but when it gets at home, you know I mean? It's war, right? Do you struggle with irritability? Number two, do you struggle with hypersensitivity? And that's like this, minor comments will just ruin your whole day. Whether somebody meant something bad or not, it will ruin your whole day and you'll just be thinking about every little thing. It hurts your feelings in a great way. Um, Minor inconveniences really become major events to you. You ever struggle with that? And they can show up as anger, um, you being nitpicky, you know, finding fault with every little thing, anxiety, um, maybe even depression. Or just simply feeling just tired all the time because you're just overly sensitive about things and people and situations. Number three, restlessness. You can't rest. When it's time to rest, you, your brain will not shut down. Here's a symptom you may not realize for that is the Bible is boring to you. If you're a believer and you're a Christian and the Bible's boring to you, there's, it's probably because you can't rest and slow down in time to read it. You can't focus in your quiet time. Um, This one's going to get a lot of you. You watch TV and you scroll on your phone at the same time. And for those of y'all that are going to get high and mighty and say, I just don't scroll on my phone that much, or I don't watch Netflix, you're scrolling on your phone and you're folding clothes. You're doing two things at the same time and you're just continually multitasking. The thing we try to say is a really positive thing, but really isn't all that great for us. Workaholism, number four, nonstop activity. It doesn't have to be in your career. It can just be in life. You just always have to go, 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 go. Um, You focus on accomplishment or accumulation or you have obsessive cleaning. It could be that. That's sort of workaholism as well. Or it can be in your career um, or incessant errand running. You've always got to be, oh, I need to go do this. I need to go do this. I need to go do this. And by day's end, you have nothing left to give to your family. That might be workaholism. Emotional numbness. You can't feel another person's pain or even yourself sometimes. You just feel numb emotionally. Number six, disordered priorities. You feel distant from your identity and calling. You're a slave to the tyranny of the urgent, like we said earlier. You're busy, but you don't have any time for what you feel like is important. You don't have your priorities in the right order. Number seven, lack of care for your body. You don't get anywhere near six to eight hours of sleep. You don't get daily exercise, at least walking of some sort or something like that. You don't do a lot of home-cooked food. It's a lot of, you know, fast food and, you know, microwave stuff and all that sort of stuff. You have lots of caffeine. You don't have much margin or room in your schedule. Not margarine, I said (laughs) margin. You just have sort of unhealthy behaviors. Almost done here. Escapist behaviors. Now, this one is one that hits a lot of us. Maybe it's overeating. Maybe it's over drinking. 
Maybe it's binge watching Netflix. Maybe it's browsing social media constantly. Maybe it's surfing the web. Don't get mad. Let me back up. Amazon shopping. In case anybody throws anything at me. Or looking at pornography can be very serious. Number nine, slippage of spiritual disciplines. Quiet time in the morning has gone out the window or never started. You don't spend much time in scripture or prayer. You don't get any real biblical type rest. You skip gathering with the church. You don't gather with a connect group during the week to have some relationships. And then last but not least, isolation. You feel disconnected with God, with others, and even your own soul. You cancel plans a lot, and even when you are with other people, you can't really be present, whether it's by being on your phone or just being mentally just checked out. All right. Now, you don't have to say how many you had checked off, but if you're feeling brave and you're willing to just sort of raise your hand, how many of you had more than three? A lot of us. <laughs> Two and a half. <laughs> Okay, switch with your spouse <laughs> and let them, let them do yours. No, I'm just kidding. Here's what I want you to realize. I don't say this to shame you because I'm right there too. A lot of us are. I say this to bring attention to what a lot of us don't realize is the problem. And we're going around and we're pointing fingers at this, that, and the other, but all the while it's this hurry sickness. Our life is just too busy and too hectic that we can't slow down. And so I want you to know, though, it might feel a little bit like the blind leading the blind because a lot of us are all in the same boat, including myself at times. You know, we're all there. We, we struggle with it. Don't feel like it's the blind leading the blind because the good news is that we have a good shepherd that is willing to lead us by the still waters, you know, and to help us lie down and to take care of us and nourish us. And that's going to be our goal. Um, we're going to do a lot of addressing the problem today and pointing out the problem. And over the next few weeks, we're going to really talk about a lot of solutions. Now, we're going to give you some solutions today. But we're going to talk more in depth over these next few weeks. So make the plan to be here over these next few weeks to help figure out these solutions to defeat this hurry sickness. Because the problem is, is that this hurry sickness leads to death. It leads to death spiritually, but even physically. Even physically it can lead to death. In Matthew chapter 14, that's where we're going to be spending our time in, in the scripture this morning. Matthew chapter 14. It's a story that you may have heard before, and it goes uh, like this. It says, immediately, verse 22, he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. Now, just to give you a little context here, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. It has been an overwhelming day, an amazing day, but just a draining day. This 5,000 figure was just the men. It was probably more in the neighborhood of 15 to 20,000 people, including women and children. And God, through Jesus, miraculously fed these people. The disciples were involved in collecting the food and passing out the food and the leftovers and all that sort of stuff. And then it's just chaos. And Jesus says, all right, go get in the boat. And he goes off. Here's where we pick back up. He dismissed the crowds, and it says in verse 23, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to 
pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, from about three till six in the morning, very, one of the darkest times of the night, this storm is going on. The fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Verse 26, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, Peter being Peter, he answered him. He said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And then they got into the boat and the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. It's just such a cool, cool story. I mean, so many layers. But that last phrase, that's what it took, him walking on the water. He just fed a 5,000 people, 15, 20,000 people with a few pieces of fish and bread. But that's what it took. They'd seen him heal people. They'd seen all this stuff. But this is what truly said. This is, you are the son of God. He's walking on the water. It's in the storm in the middle of the night. Most of these guys had grown up around the Sea of Galilee. Many of them had grown up on the Sea of Galilee as fishermen. And they were used to the storms. But this was a doozy. So much they were terrified. It was in the darkest part of the night. And when we read or hear that they thought he might have been a ghost, that seems weird to us. I even heard a few of you chuckle. I I did the same thing. But a lot of their superstition and their culture believed that those who died at sea would get up and haunt the waters in the middle of the night. And so it was completely within the realm of reason in their minds that it could be a ghost. And so when they see this figure walking in the middle of the storm, and can you imagine? I don't know if you watched The Chosen, but their rendering of Jesus walking in the water was, man, it was so um, powerful. It was so powerful. How the lightning would flash and you'd catch a glimpse of this person. That would scare the mess out of me, y'all. I ain't gonna lie. Anybody ever swim at night in the ocean? I've done it a few times. You know, it's a little bit terrifying. Anything that bumps on your leg, (laughs) you know, I could probably walk on water at some of those points, you know. (laughs) But you see this figure coming. It's a terrifying thing. And so they're they're rightly terrified. They're afraid for their lives. And then they see this figure that they think is a ghost. And then Peter gets out and tries to walk. And it's this amazing thing. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't look at Jesus, but he looks at what? Everything around, and he sinks, and he starts to drown. This guy who grew up on the water, and he starts to drown, and he calls out, save me, and Jesus does. But the, 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 the important lesson I think most of us can get is this. Why did he start to sink? Because he took his eyes off of Jesus. He took his eyes off of Jesus. Jesus pulls him back up and saves him. But you know what's interesting is that verse 27 That phrase, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. In the Greek, it's really, really cool. 
There are about 90 words in this story before that phrase, and then there are about 90 words in the story after that phrase in the original Greek. It's the centerpiece of the whole story, Jesus. Doesn't it sound like life? If our ears are open, our eyes are open, that should be the centerpiece of our life is that Jesus is, when he comes on the scene, everything becomes okay. Don't worry, don't fear, take courage, I'm here. When Jesus is on the scene, everything's okay. When your life is in struggle and struggle and in, in trial and in just a shambles, you fix your eyes on Jesus and everything's okay. When you take your eyes off of Jesus, what happens? It all falls apart. Chaos. Everything just crumbles. You start to drown. You start to sink. And it's a terrifying thing. But Jesus is the centerpiece. He is where your eyes are supposed to be drawn. In this passage, in this story, and in your life. We're like Peter, though. We fix our eyes on Jesus for a little bit, but then really quickly we fix our eyes on what? The storm. The wind, the waves, whatever those are for us at this particular time in our life, that's what we focus on, and we start to drown. So when you make Jesus the focus of your life, when you start to face anxiety or worry or fear or chaos, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, it can start to lose its power, and Jesus becomes the center. When you face addictions that you're dealing with, make Jesus the focus. Now, some of you are probably already thinking, oh man, okay, just Jesus, right? Just think about Jesus and it all goes away. No. It's got to be a focus. It's got to be, you've got to put your life on Him, and you've got to start filtering everything through Him if you want to see any change. And that's the problem is a lot of times we just think, okay, I'm going to think the name Jesus, and that's just going to take care of it all. But then the waves come back, and the waves get stronger, and the rains come down, and man, we start to see something that we think is there, and man, we're just freaking out. And anxiety is not just an uneasiness in your gut. It's fear. It's fear. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of what's going to happen. It's fear of this. It's fear of that. And the fix for anxiety is even clinical psychologists will tell you something of this nature is if you take your focus off of yourself, your anxiety can cease or at least ease or begin to change. And you start focusing on other people and other things, some of that anxiety can diminish. And if you suffer with anxiety on whatever level you suffer with it on, it might be easy to say, well, Jesus was God. <laughs> what does he really know about anxiety? We see in Scripture from about the age of three, his parents were very aware that he was the Son of God and that he was the Messiah who was promised. And they're kind of telling anybody and everybody. <laughs> That's a little bit of pressure that could cause some anxiety. For most of his life, he knew the cross was coming for him. Do you think that would cause anxiety? I think so. And then to top it off, his ministry, actually his ministry of spreading the gospel about his death, burial, and resurrection that was coming was out of his 30-year life was three years. You got to save the world in three years. Have at it, son. <laughs> That's anxiety-inducing, right? You know, we can't plan a vacation in three years, some of us, you know? 
We, it's an overwhelming thing. Jesus had to have faced feelings of anxiety, but he learned to give them over to God and not allow himself to be taken down those paths. And yet Jesus was a non-anxious presence in the world, even with so many factors in his life that could have caused great anxiety. He focused on God. He got away. What did it say in the story? But when he sent off the disciples, what did he do? Go up on the mountain alone to pray. He spent time with God and he served others. You see the pattern over and over and over in his life. That was the, the, the essence of his ministry was spending a little bit of time getting away, going back and serving others, being about other people. And that's how I believe he dealt with all those things that crippling anxiety. So the first thing that you and I need to do is get in Jesus. If we want to deal with anxiety, we have to get in Jesus. So I have to address that before I really address anything. You can't get your life right and then come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus and he'll help you get your life right. So if you need to be baptized into Christ, like we talked about last week, put on Jesus, be clothed in Christ at baptism, man, that's the best thing that you can do, is that God doesn't see you and your mess-ups and your sin and your, your so-called righteousness, He sees Jesus. If you're baptized into Christ, you put on Christ and you're a new creation, that's the first thing you need to do. That's the first thing you need to focus on. And so if you want to know more about that, you can just grab a Connect card and write baptism and we'll reach out to you. But if you're already following Jesus, I've got just a, a few quick things I want to share with you really quick before we wrap up that can help us start to turn the tide against this hurry sickness. These might be like your first steps of fighting hurry sickness. The first one is this, slow down. Slow down. For real. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to everybody else. You're, you're not fooling anybody. Slow down. Driving the slow lane on purpose, that gives me anxiety right now thinking about that. But do things. If that's an issue for you, driving the slow lane on purpose, go to a coffee shop. If you go to coffee shops, go to a coffee shop with no phone, like an animal. Like an animal. Sit there with no phone in your hand and drink coffee. And if you get a chance, talk to somebody. You know, and I don't know what your thing is. You might not go to coffee shops, but you can apply that. Like we said earlier, choose the long line at the grocery store, like a crazy person, right? And don't take out your phone. The moment we get stuck waiting anywhere in public, what do we do? Most of us can probably recognize 14 people by this part of their head, <laughs> because that's all we see of each other nowadays, you know? But do that. Just make yourself put away the noise and just be present. Maybe you should consider fasting. Fasting. It can be, of course, from food. That's the first one we see in Scripture. But I believe also social media, um, alcohol, certain types of food. You know, you can just say, okay, I'm not going to eat sweets for a while because that's something I crave. And so I'm going to just keep this out of my, my, my hands for a little bit because it's what I use to just kill time. And when I want to, those things, whatever it may be, I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk to God and I'm going to ask him to help me to slow down and be present and focused on him. And that's what we're doing when we fast from whatever we fast from is we're learning to be content with just us and God. That he's going to provide what we're searching for in that stuff or those things or those people or that time filler. The second thing is this. Embrace your limitations in life. 
not just necessarily your personal limitations, but just limitations in general. You know, limitations are there to remind us that we are not God, that He's God and that we're not. So embrace spending 15 minutes at the gym instead of beating yourself up because you couldn't go for two hours. Just embrace whatever your schedule allows. If the gym's not your thing and you beat yourself up about, okay, I didn't read a story with my kid for two and a half hours and act it out with scenes, you know, 10 minutes of quality time is better than the zero that you got when you're stressing about it. You know what I mean? Focus on your schedule limitations and just say, God, there to remind me that I need you. If a date night is something that you have with your spouse, Instead of worrying that you don't have lots and lots of money to spend, go spend time at Chick-fil-A together because it's not the amount of money you spend, it's the time you spend with your spouse. Instead of taking what I like to call a debt vacation or a credit card vacation, focus on quality time with your family around home and, and little short day trips and creating memories. Embrace limitations of life and don't allow them to make you rush ahead and work more and fight more and struggle more and do that. And then the third thing is this, prune. Prune. Pruning is cutting something that's alive and maybe is not so bad out so that something better can grow. And you might need to cut some good things out to allow the better things to grow. And so here's just a few examples to think about. They might not be immoral things, it might not be bad things, but they distract you from the best. Andrew Huberman is a well-known brain scientist, and uh, he, he said, the worst start of your day is to lay in bed and scroll on, on your phone. And guess what the worst way to end your day is? to lay in bed and scroll on your phone. He said, not just because, oh, it just makes you focus on other things. It literally does something to your brain and does not allow your brain to kind of regenerate and refresh and reset as we talk about. So stop laying in bed at night and scrolling your phone. Stop doing that first thing in the morning. Allow your brain to refresh. The science backs up Jesus when he talks about rest. It backs up God as he talks about rest in the Old Testament. Before you go to sleep, focus on God and how he used you during your day. Before you get up in the morning, focus on God and how you want him to use you and how you're asking him to use you during the day. If I lost you, if you're already scrolling on your phone, <laughs> tune in for this little phrase. I want you to, to read it with me on the screen. Your life is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. I, I can't take cre credit for this statement. I, I got this from uh, a guy, a preacher from uh, Maryland, and I, I think it's amazing. Sometimes I get really angry about the way my life turns out because of my schedule, and I don't have time for this, I don't have time for that, and I'm so frustrated. Ah, you there? But my life and your life is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. What you are getting is a byproduct of what you have put into place to make things happen in your life. And so the reason I say that is to let's change some things. If you don't like what you're getting out of life, let's look at what we're putting into our schedules and our life and our time and our focus. If you like what you're getting, that's okay. That's good. If you're focused on God, that's awesome. Teach us. <laughs> but your life right now is perfectly designed to get the results you're getting. So here's what I want you to focus on today 
And over the next few weeks, as we get into the real deep parts of how we help fix this hurry sickness, it's time to prune in our lives. It's time to add in the practices that maybe are going to draw us closer to God, that Jesus lived and and taught. If we want a different life, then we've got to do what Jesus did and follow him. Not just acknowledge him, but follow him. The life that Jesus lived and promised us is available. And here's the thing. If you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, it's time to change something. It's time to follow Jesus in this. As we said, if you need to give your life to Christ, let's get that done first. But then once you've got that, I want you to say, God, what do I need to prune to allow my life to be more used by you? I want you to take a couple moments before we sing, and I want you to pray. I want you to say, God, Help me to see what needs to be pruned out of my life, whether it be good or bad. What do I need to add in? What do I need to slow down? Maybe I just need to be still. And maybe the first couple of moments of your prayer is just sit and be as silent as you can in your mind. And ask God to reveal to you what your next step is, and then we'll sing. Thank you for listening to Movement Christian Church's Sermon Podcast. Want to learn more about us? You can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on iOS and Android devices under Movement NC.